1: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday. Free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. And I'm joined to enjoy the next two hours by Bruce Millington, who, when you last sat in that seat, Bruce was the editor of the Racing Post? Was I or was I I, had I just finished possibly? Had, you, had yes. you finished? I was just
0: in that first bit of decompression And you,
1: having decompressed you've now recompressed. Yes, <laughs> you've I've gone jumped back in. into the fire
0: <laughs> I've jumped back in, yes. So, so what are you now? Um, I think I'm called group sports director. Basically mm-hmm. when I left as editor a couple of years ago they split the content estate, if you like, into two horses one way, sport the other Tom Kerr took over as Racing Post editor and looks after everything with four legs. Um, and then another guy came in to look after the sport. He was recently lured away to the Telegraph. And so um, I, I'm back in looking after all sports uh, events and enjoying it very much. Did you actually take much arm twisting or not? I, I'm thinking not. Mm, about ten minutes worth, I suppose. Simply because I'd really enjoyed I had a really nice role after I was editor. I was doing some podcasts and writing the column and doing a few other bits and pieces and really, really enjoying that. And just it was all about just do I want to step back up to that kind of full tilt pace again. But I'm back into it now, and it's really, really good. There's a lot of interesting challenges. The, the job's moved on massively. There's a lot of opportunities in America. We're a bigger company now. We've made some acquisitions. And so it's not just the Racing Post anymore. And it, it's good fun and working with some fantastic people.
1: And I have, if you've been at the Racing Post, that you're always going to be a, a Racing Post evangelist. And we've spoken about this before. but uh, that there was that period last year for, for two or three months where there, there must have been significant concerns it would never come back. I suppose so, yeah. Because simply because no one
0: knew what was going to happen, and you know we're obviously now back into lockdown and the pressure is back on. It's been a difficult year for everyone, and, and the Racing Post is no exception. But you know, hopefully the numbers are going the right way now. Um, you'd hope that retail will open sometime March or April. The Racing Post will be back into the betting shops. It's
1: still still obviously out there in print and you know fighting on. And what sort of fight do you think the sport's up against at the moment, just looking at it in the round? There's always
0: icebergs ahoy, isn't there? I mean, you know, it's just a question of how big they are and how close they are. I mean, uh, the obvious one right now, Nick, is the affordability checks, which I guess some people are sighing and thinking not affordability checks again. But they are a huge issue, and our postbag is absolutely jammed with people. It's, It's... it's not just the kind of civil liberty issue and, you know, having to open, having to show your bank details to a bookmaker to be able to deposit £100 a month. It just, it's just utterly crazy. You've got that from the punter's point of view, but then you've mm. also got the impact on the sport. Because I'm sure a lot of punters will just say, sir, I'm not doing that. And, and there really is a major, major problem. I mean, there's probably people sitting there thinking, well, hang on a sec, we heard all about the FOB T £2 limit. If that came in racing, would be ruined. That hole was plugged largely by the fact that they managed to negotiate an offshore levy. So that, that emergency was averted. This one's completely different. This really is a big worry for the sport. And, you know, there's so much to look forward to. I think racing's really held its own this year, and, and I know betting turnover's been good. And I think racing's probably attracted a lot of new fans. But this thing is a huge threat.
1: And that's the point, isn't it? I mean, racing is a great survivor, and we keep saying, oh, it'll be okay, we'll you know, keep papering over the cracks, but it, it's hard.
0: It's, it's not always going to be the case, it just isn't. You can't always assume everything's going to be absolutely fine. If they do this, the amount of betting on racing will go down, and there's a simple, very linear relationship between the amount bet on the sport and the amount that goes into its funding. So prize money will go down, there'll be more pressure on tracks the whole world of racing will contract, and it's something that is so unjust, it's so unfair. I mean, Nick, you know, this idea that betting should be, should be kind of isolated and, and subject to this sort of scrutiny on affordability, when you're allowed to buy shares, you know, you're allowed to buy gold, you can buy Bitcoin, you can do all these things. What is an investment and what is a bet? It's, it's just so wrong. The whole idea is just utterly obscene. We have to protect vulnerable punters. We have to accept there are people who get into trouble and we have to do something about it. But this kind of King Herod idea where everybody
1: suffers from it is just completely and utterly wrong. You're, you're pretty smart in terms of keeping your ear to the ground politically. How do you think it's going to end this?
0: Well, I would have thought that it would get laughed out of court. But, but it the, hasn't been. Well, A, it hasn't, and B, the fact that they went ahead and, and, and made that really swinging cut to the FOB limit potentially shows or empowers them to believe that these kind of drastic courses of action are okay and will have beneficial effects. It's interesting to see that the media this time, I don't think, are quite as on board with this. I mean, it. With the fob tease, you had that kind of pincer movement of right-wing media and, and left-wing media both really, really hammering it home on politicians. And so they had to do something. I'm not sure that's the case with this. There's a very good piece by Barry Glendinning in The Guardian last week just saying that this is a complete liberty and it's, it's outrageous and there are better ways of doing it. So I'm hoping that, you know, with everything that's... You know, the situation, I think Sunak obviously has been reminded by his racing constituents up there in Yorkshire that this isn't a good idea so we have to hope that the common sense you know does shine through here and that, and that this this is a bad idea
1: on every level and it, it needs to get squashed. Do you think racing's approach to tackling it has been a good one?
0: I do actually, I mean I, th- I think you have to just basically say this is just not on and everybody is coming out and saying it now that did happen to an extent with the Fobtis, but I think with the Fobtis. The racecourses were slightly reluctant to be, quite rightly probably, to come out in favour of these um, of, of the roulette machines because you know they are harmful. They they aren't the cleverest way of of getting revenue. But with this, there is a genuine case. You can say, hand on heart, you know, I don't feel bad about myself by. By taking this attitude, and, and they've come out fighting, and they're very concerted. I thought Martin mm. Crutis made very good points about it, and and really, actually, not just very good points, but quite frightening points about the extent of what could happen here in a worst-case scenario.
1: And, and should racing and and sport mm. should sport seek to distance itself from casino betting to try and advance its case?
0: I think that's I think that's right. I think that you know, I mean, <clears throat> I've said on the one hand, what is you know. What, how come betting isn't allowed to is subject to these checks, whereas you know buying shares isn't. But there is a clear distinction here. The, the harm tends to come from slots, casinos, games of chance. There is a distinction between betting on a, a horse race or a football match or a snooker match, where there is form. You are actually exercising some skill in your decision, and and putting money into a fruit machine or onto a, uh, a roulette wheel and, and just choosing red or black. There is that distinction. There is that element of harm. Obviously, you know, you can you can go, you yeah. can become perfectly destitute backing horses, but there's a lot. You know, I think statistically, there's a lot less um, evidence to suggest that that is the case. And I think it should
1: be. There should be a distinction on those. Well, if you are going to bet on horse racing, then you want to have as much confidence in the product as you possibly can. And that means that the integrity of the sport is protected. Now, Horse Racing Ireland this week, and Irish racing has been beleaguered by negative headlines in the last month, more of which in a moment, but Horse Racing Ireland this week announced an integrity drive would get a boost as the green light was given for unannounced inspections so there'd be drug testing essentially out of competition and uh, venues which are weren't necessarily licensed premises and there'd be a tender to be published shortly for the installation of well CCTV in all racecourse stable yards not before time 4,000-plus horses to be sampled by IHRB in Ireland in 2021. 600 samples to be taken at public auction. We'll discuss the significance of that in a second. No notice testing to be applied as an IHRB veterinary team now granted authorised officer status. So a zero-tolerance regime enhanced with a range of new measures. And Brian Kavanagh, the chief executive of Horse Racing Ireland, joins me now. Um, Good good morning, Brian. Um, Five years ago... This was, uh, this was recommended. How, how has it taken quite so long to, to, to come into
2: force? Well I suppose uh, I would say half of the recommendations have already been implemented with the, uh, the creation of the anti-doping, uh, head of anti-doping position with the IHRB. Uh, the second half depended on a change of status for the IHRB uh, officials that they became uh, the equivalent of authorised officers from the Department of Agriculture. Uh, that came through last year, uh, and uh, we see that as a game-changer uh, from our point of view. Uh, so that's the, the, the main element behind the uh, announcement on Friday.
1: So why do, does it take in the Department of Agriculture you know, this long to, to get on the same page as you, if you like? If you had to go and present your case to them to be able to, to license your officers to go into, to go into premises?
2: Yeah, it's it's not straightforward. I mean, there's there's legal le, le, legal issues that uh, you know complexities at play, constitutional law comes into it. Uh, but as I said, the, the the permission came through towards the middle of last year, uh, August of last year, uh, and uh, that's the main thrust behind uh, um, Friday's announcement.
1: So just try and flesh out a little bit for me the, the, the scope of this. Where can your officers go and when? Can they go anywhere, anytime and take samples from from any registered thoroughbred?
2: Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the beauty of it. Now i stress these are our, our staff of the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board. They're not of my officers, uh, uh, so it's a separate body dealing with this issue, but uh, uh, funded by ourselves, uh, obviously. But uh, f- as of Friday every thoroughbred in the country uh, irrespective of where it is will be liable to be tested uh, and that's a real breakthrough from our point of view particularly you know in the context of the level of trade that there is uh, you know internationally in, in Irish bloodstock uh, and as you mentioned yourself earlier the uh, the issues around uh, around racing so uh, that's you know unique in my knowledge uh, in terms of racing authorities worldwide that we will be able to access any thoroughbred uh, in Ireland at any stage of its life for 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 testing and that testing will be unannounced.
1: Uh, And will that include retrospective testing as well, so taking hair samples and you can test whether horses have had any trace of a a banned substance in their system going back a a period of months or years?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think it it, it will be hair, blood or or urine as appropriate. That's a matter for the experts to determine uh, what they want to do, but uh, it should give a, a, a full uh, a picture across the entire industry. Uh, you know, not just racing, but the breeding sector as well. Uh, you know, there's already a robust system in place, and, and, and we see this now as, as bringing it to a different level. So, so uh, Friday was a good day.
1: Brian, you're you're delegating these responsibilities to the IHRB. It's not been a very good month or six weeks for the IHRB. Can you, as chief executive of HRI, who's delegating these responsibilities, still have confidence in them to carry out what you're asking them to do?
2: Well, I think there's two different things. I think I think the, the subject we're just talking about is a, is an industry-wide issue and it's a fundamental issue. You know, the issues around you know uh, starting procedures, poor 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 starts are. Or should the result of an inquiry go one way or the other? They're matters for the IHRB to deal with. I know from talking to them, they they are dealing with it. I heard Dennis Egan on your show last week saying, you know, learning from from what's happened. So, you know, they have processes internally uh, to look at those issues. And, uh, you know, I'm well aware that they are looking at them. I think the issue in hand here is a more fundamental issue uh, that applies across the entire industry, hence the the involvement of Horse Racing Ireland uh, in it. Uh, But, but, you know, the the, the, the IHRB, I know, are looking at the the incidents that have taken place over the last number of of weeks Uh, and, as I said, will, will I'm sure, come up through their own internal procedures with with, with improvements in the way that they have been operating.
1: In, in the UK, after the, uh, the original Jockey Club as a regulator was disbanded and we had the, the HRA, the, the Horse Racing Authority, and we had the British Horse Racing Board, regulation and governance were separated out along much the same lines as you're separated out in, in a sense. You're the, you're the governor, the IHRB is the, is the regulator. Is there a case now to,
2: to merge the two, and,
1: and what are the advantages of the present system if there are
2: any? Well, there's different systems worldwide nick uh, you know uh, in different countries and different jurisdictions each has its pluses each has its, 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 its negatives uh, you know we've always operated on the basis that the, there should be some degree of of separation uh, between regulation and the commercial administration and governance that said you know the two bodies are very close they work very closely together on a daily basis uh, you know and we're constantly looking at ways in which uh, we can improve uh, the way in which racing is run uh, you know, my experience looking around the world is there's no perfect system, uh, you know, uh, so the, the, the trick is to try and take the best out of one, uh, 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 best out of each system and apply it uh, within Ireland. And so, you know, and, and that, that process is constant. Uh, you know, the, the, the issue of a single body has not been discussed at HRI board level, so there's no HRI position on that. Uh, but as I said, the, the, the two bodies do work very closely together and the staff and the teams there are, 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 are in contact daily. You know, the COVID response has been a, a great example of that, you know, where where Jennifer Pugh in the IHRB and Jason Morrison and Jonathan Mullen and HRI have led a, a sort of a, a process whereby, uh, you know, we've, we've worked to keep Irish racing safe and secure and be able to continue going. So, you know, it's not like they're two bodies operating in completely different orbits, uh, but um, as I said, you know, you look at different systems in France and the UK and the United States, everyone has its way of running racing and and the trick is to take the good out of each of those systems and try and, try and come up with the right outcome.
1: Yeah, and there's absolutely no way I'm mm-hmm. suggesting that the system here or in France or in the States is necessarily any better than the system in Ireland. It's just, it's just quite interesting to to see how it might progress from, from here on in, given what you've had to contend with recently. And, and I just want to go back to to the CCTV issue around all, all racecourse stables in, in Ireland. Am I right in thinking that you'd already given the IHRB a significant amount of money or a significant grant to make sure that all those racecourse stables were covered, but for whatever reason they weren't covered and that's why we ended up in the situation we were in with the Charles Burns case where there was insufficient CCTV footage?
2: That, that, that's correct. They, they, they will come to us each year with an annual budget for the cost of their integrity services and that's agreed and it's, it's reviewed on an annual basis. So uh, in 2017, we, 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 we agreed to, to, to put CCTV in and we started off at Town as a, a trial case which worked well. The 2018 budget rolled that out at a, a further seven or eight tracks, uh, with a view to, to, to further extending it. Uh, during 2018 IHRB came to us and said look we would prefer to spend this money in other parts of the integrity budget which other priorities within integrity uh, you know we, we, we accepted that uh, in the first instance it's, it's for them to decide what, what, what their priorities are and, and, and the money was reallocated there that said as you, as, as you said earlier we've announced on Friday you know that that, that funding uh, uh, will be made available now for uh, immediate, installation of, of, of cameras in, in, in all yards around the, around the country. Um, so, you know, hopefully that will be addressed as quickly as possible.
1: Uh, and Brian, as the, as the overall boss of, of Irish Racing, as the Chief Executive of, of HRI, and obviously we still haven't seen the result of the, the appeal of the Charles Burns case, they need more time to deliberate, so that'll, that'll come into the beginning of this week. When you look at that case in the round as a whole, how worried are you about the integrity of the sport in Ireland,
2: I think that case. There's a number of disturbing aspects where that case to be taken up, um, you know. But I would also keep it in context. It was the first case of that kind, as far as I'm aware, that we've had in Ireland for over 30 years. But likewise, the UK have not had a similar case of a horse being sedated. But when you look at the the, uh, the betting patterns, the nature of the betting behind that, the fact that a horse was able to 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 compete. With those levels of sedative uh, in him they're, they're really issues of great concern to us which we will take up with with the IHRV and with the, the, the government authorities and and the relevant betting operators uh, you know to, to look at that. But that's as I said to keep it in context you know in that area that's the first case of that sort that there has been in, 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 in 30 years. you know we have 35,000 runners a year in Ireland. Uh, you know, from we we test, uh, as I said earlier, about four thousand of those, and on average over the last four or five years, we've had you know eleven positive samples. So you know, in that area of of, of, of substances and drugs, there's a, as a there's a robust system in place, and, and you can be confident about that. You know, so uh, uh, it, that that is not a concern. That said, it's always an, it's never an area you can be complacent about. You can never do enough on integrity. Uh, there's always something more to be done. But, you know, I think uh, uh, um, I, I don't have concerns with regards to the, 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 the integrity situation for Irish racing.
0: Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Basti Cruel Dubai.
1: Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. Bruce Millington, my guest today. We're going to check in now with uh, Paul Nichols, who joins me live from Ditchin. Morning, Paul.
3: Good morning, Nick. How are you?
1: I'm very well. And I'd imagine, I know the, the last couple of weeks have been impossible with the weather, but I'd imagine you sit here with 122 winners from 462 runners and over a million and a half prize money this year and think, yeah, this has gone quite well so far.
3: Yeah, it, it, obviously, <clears throat> since we started in October, we've had a good run. Um, winning lots of races, horses have been, you know, fit and healthy. Nice little break in January and all ready to go and get stuck in again.
1: And it seems to me that, you, normally speaking, you would take a bit of a break in January, and the horses would be, would be a bit quieter, but you had more winners in January than you've just about ever had before this time round. If you've got a big enough squad, can you rotate them a little bit, if you like?
3: Yeah, you, you can, and um, it's just there was a certain number of horses that we kept fitting because it was some good races in January, and they, they kept on performing. Still, I suspect most of them, 80% of them had a little break, but they never actually stand still. They just have a flu jab. Couple of weeks, a bit quieter, change their routine, um, and then get them back ready to go from from now onwards. Really.
1: Now you'll have seen all the action from the Dublin Racing Festival last yeah. weekend, and there were some of formidable performances, many of which came from from Willie Mullins' horses. Did you watch those thinking, "Oh, we need to start now," or did you think, "Yeah, I've got horses that can can take them on"?
3: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of them are going to be hard to beat. Um, You've just got to study it, evaluate it, and and, and sort of work out uh, what you can do. And um, obviously, um, you know, we've got some nice horses to run. Um, you've got to do your own thing, really. Um, I think a lot. If there were some horses that absolutely had no chance at all, I wouldn't be going. would wait for entry. Um, but I think some of the fancied ones we've got, uh, you know, would have a great chance still. It's all competitive. chant, not just willies. All the other horses, to, you know, that are going to be there for all you know, the UK and Irish trainers. It's going to be very competitive, whatever, really.
1: I mean, you've said about quite a few horses over the last couple of weeks that you might, you might wait for Aintree. Which ones yeah. do you think you'll be keeping for, for later in the season?
3: Uh, well, definitely Klanders um, Surname, I suspect, will run on Saturday, Ascot, and then go to Aintree. Um, and it, 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 you know, it's just, you know, Braidman's game, Barbados, Bucks, Frodon those horses will definitely run at Cheltenham and plenty to run in handicaps. The next destination will go to Cheltenham. So, we, you know, we've got plenty to run, but there are horses that you, you know for well while won't win at Cheltenham, aren't suitable. And if you just have a bit of patience, you can win something before Cheltenham and then go on to Aintree.
1: And when you, I mean, obviously it's difficult at the moment with the Brexit issues, the COVID issues. We've just been yeah. talking to Brian Kavana traveling horses between countries is not straightforward. But could you envisage a scenario if things get back to some sort of normality where you would actually go over if the prize money was really good and, and have a few more runners in Ireland again and try and lay down those markers earlier in the season so you know where you are with them?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think the trouble with the Dublin festival is it's, it's close enough to Cheltenham to run your Cheltenham horses. For us, we have to go over there. You know, you're ultimately going to have a very hard race and then you've got to travel back. And I think we've done that a couple of times in the past. Not when it was a Dublin festival, when it was just the ordinary meeting and we found out at Cheltenham that they weren't quite at their best. I think that's the timing of that isn't so easy for us. Punchestown at the end of the season is always a different matter. I love having runners there when they're capable of competing. Um, and it would nice to have runners at Punchestown again. I mean, we did try and take surname to Dan Rawl in, in November, obviously, and it would have liked to have done so. but It was just impossible, all the red tape we had to go through and... Uh, the fact the staff had to isolate in Ireland for a fortnight before the horse had run it was just impossible to do so it was easier to you know times like this to have horses running in this country
1: have you have you still got thoughts of of running a few at punchestown this time if you can or have you almost put it to the back of your mind
3: and if it was possible i'd love to take Clanders as a bow out there you know he's not going to go to Cheltenham i i i think the track there would suit him it's particularly the fact it's right-handed uh, i wouldn't be surprised if program run very well there too it's a track that would suit him um, so yeah, it's a possibility at the back end of the season. But first of all, you need horses that are good enough to compete. You don't want to be going there just for the sake of going. Um, and obviously, with all the restrictions, making it possible to, to get there and in, in making it feasible.
1: Let, let's talk about one or two of these horses that you're pinning a lot of hope on for, for the festival. Maybe we'll start with, with Brave Man's Game, who looks a really exciting novice hurdler. You've seen what? You've got likely up against you from from last weekend. It looks a pretty formidable race. What sort of form's he in?
3: Yeah, he's in good form. He, he's nice and fresh. Um, obviously, he had four runs up until including Christmas and uh, when he won the Challow, and then we've decided just to keep him fresh. You know, damon had had four runs before he ran in the race. I don't think he needed to run again. Uh, he worked well yesterday. He's very fit. Probably having a way day somewhere with him, and I couldn't be happy with him. I'd say physically, just keeps on improving.
1: And the comparisons with with Denman keep coming. I mean, you just me- yeah. you just mentioned Denman there. Is it just because they've taken the same kind of career trajectory or, or do you yeah. actually see some sort of physical and or ability uh, comparison with them?
3: Well, well, basically, he's gone down the same route. Denman won the challow. This lad's won the challow. We've sort of gone down the same route. Physically, he's the same type of horse. A big scopy horse is going to make a chaser. If ever was as good as Denman, we'd be delighted. But so far, he's gone down the route and... Yeah, in comparison with his program, really, and um, you know, he, he's probably going to follow that same sort of route in his chasing career. So, um, you know, I, I've never said he's as good as Denver, Never, we'd all dream that he might be, but he's gone down that route. And you know, he's won a Challow. Denver won a Challow. He's that type of horse,
1: and he's four to one for the Ballymore Novices Hurdle at the moment. Brave Man's Game, and that was him winning the Challow Hurdle. You talked about your your Gold Cup challenge. It looks as though it'll be it'll be headed by by Frodon. Amazingly, who'd have thought it? you know at this time last year that he'd be your he'd be your potential number one for the gold cup
3: I know he's an amazing horse isn't he um, you know to think he, he, he's, he's gone and won a King George now, on top of a Ryanair and um, you know Cotswold Chase and he was great weight carrying and performed early in the season when he carried 11 stone 12 to win that handicap at Charlton you know this was a good day he beat some good horses with a little bit of his sleep so he, he's definitely in the mix you know no, no one will ever believe Frodo to win a gold cup but he's a sort of horse if he, he did win he wouldn't be surprised that's what you know, that's just ways he keeps on surprising people.
0: And, uh, Paul, it was interesting to read in your stable tour in Racing Post yesterday that with Frodon, you wouldn't necessarily want him uh, sent out in front and getting into a battle with Native River. You, you think he'd be happy just sitting off a really ferocious pace in the Gold Cup?
3: Well, you know, you don't have to be one-dimensional all the time with him. You just you can afford to... If someone's giving you a lead, you can just don't have to get involved with that scrap. You can just ride him just a little bit, you know, in in behind whatever you know see what happens on the days you can't go out there with a set plan i mean we we knew we'd be in trouble in right here and it, you know it worked out nicely and to be in a lot of ways if they go nice galloping can get a little bit of lead and use his jump and the keep in the race he, he'll run well um he does like charton I mean, he jumps slightly left is you know he's got a great record on the track um and if it's slightly better ground that will be a big plus to us as well
1: now, we have got a few uh, connection issues there with Paul, but we can still hear you OK, Paul, so we'll, we'll, keep, uh, we'll keep cracking on. I wanted to ask you about McFabulous, because he was very impressive at Kempton in the, in the rescheduled rel hurdle. I, I'd love to see him at Cheltenham, but from the way you were talking, you weren't necessarily sure. What's the plan with him at the moment?
3: Well, the plan at the moment, if the ground's not too bad, is to go to, um, to Fontwell for the national spirit, and I think that's two weeks today, um, and then go to Aintree. Um, if the ground was very, very bad at Fontwell, then we may we may have a sort of reshuffle and think about the stairs hurdle. Um, but, you know, it's, um, I think Aintree would suit him well. He does seem to be suited by a flat track at the moment. And, you know, having been beaten by the good horses once at Newbury, I can't see how he can possibly beat them again at Cheltenham. Whereas Aintree, I, I, you know, if the others are all going to have a good fight at Cheltenham, keep him fresh for Aintree. It's a good race at Aintree, good prize money. He'd go very well there.
1: You've got Master Tommy Tucker one on the same day he's a an enigma but a very talented one. do you think you've got him where you want him now?
3: Master Tommy Tucker yeah sorry yeah Master Tommy Tucker he's in good form he worked great yesterday he is due to run on Saturday with surname at Asker um, you know very happy with him he seems to keep on proving and you know um, he, apart from the odd mistake he's now got his jumping and much much more assured. When you school well,
1: when you school him at home is he is he good or is he indifferent
3: no he's very good i mean he always has been that's a frustrating thing as you can see and you know, he he has got a very good jump in him he just does make the odd mistake like that but there's plenty of good horses in the past that have done that Quarter horse used to seem to do that at that last fence at Kempton um but he's definitely much more short in his jumping now I mean Haydock when he won now uh, he, he was very good he's been reincharing as well now so he's getting more and more experience so yeah I'm happy with that Really, you know he just gotta hold his hand a little bit when he's jumping
0: Luck on
1: Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Dubai. Now, if I asked you what it would have what what would you have to get at the end of it to endure several days hotel quarantine, what would the answer be? <sighs> <laughs> that's a very good question. It's a very, very good question. What would the carrot have to be? Uh,
0: it would have to be a big, big carrot because I am the fidgetiest, most restless person in the world and I couldn't do it. And so, uh, yes, I admire this man very much. But what if you were an elite sportsman? Well, that's a very hypothetical question, Nick. But look, I mean, I'm sure riches await when this man is liberated,
1: but uh, I should think he's climbing those hotel walls now. Here he is. Tom Markland who is dividing his time at the moment I think between running on the spot and doing lots of Zoom TV interviews to keep him keep him entertained. Hi there Tom.
4: How are we doing? All right.
1: <laughs> yeah all good thank you. How are you doing? You're looking you're looking quite chipper.
4: Yeah I mean I honestly um, I've sort of settled into a bit of a routine now and like it, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm here, I'm here for another sort of just short of 10 days now and um, yeah, it's it's actually not as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, I can get food uh, delivered in, so I can choose what I eat. I've got a bike that I can spend a few hours a day on and knock myself out. And honestly, it, it, yeah, it's been alright.
1: <laughs> so you you're not so just tell us exactly where you are.
4: Uh, so I'm 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 bang in the centre of Sydney in um, one of the quarantine hotels. Uh, they they shipped me off uh off the plane, uh, straight into a bus, and uh, they, yeah, they take you straight to the hotel. You don't get a choice. You don't get a choice what room you're in. Um, so I probably I probably haven't got lucky in the fact that I've not got an opening window or anything like that, but it's it's OK. There's a bit of room, and, um, yeah, there's enough room for a bike and a bed, and, uh, yeah, that's about it.
1: <laughs> but the nice thing, Tom, for you is the, is the decor, because just to cheer you up, you've got that lovely gray, slate grey wall. <laughs> And the and the the, the grey shutters behind you as well. That that yeah. must cheer you up when you can't look out of a window.
4: <laughs> yeah, well I've I've got a I've got a window with an office uh sort of an office opposite, um and that's about as exciting as it gets. But uh, I think a few people suggested that counting the rectangles in my carpet, which is rather tasteful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um and, and so how long how long have you got left? So you've what done, two or three days now?
4: Uh yeah, I'm on um I must have uh, counted nearly five or just under five days um so I'm out on the 23rd I'm allowed out at 4 4 p.m because I arrived into the hotel before 12 Um so they even they've even narrowed it down to as sort of tight as like half day slots Um if you arrive after so and so you're you're allowed out at 4 p.m and if you arrive uh, I guess in the morning you're allowed out at 9 a.m so um yeah it's it's all it's all being very uh, very tightly tightly run
1: so you can't actually set foot outside the room or or are you allowed to you're not allowed to walk downstairs to get any any fresh air like you can here
4: no no nothing nothing um like as i say i've not i've not got an opening window and it's literally a case of they come bring your food knock on the door and and walk off and you you open the door and there's a little bag waiting for you with your food in it and um, that's about as exciting as it gets. So uh, yeah, look, it, you can't help but think if you're got, if you're being put in a hotel for two weeks quarantine, it's the right way to do it. Um, you know, I'd, I I think I'd actually feel sort of a bit um, dumbfounded if I was allowed to go and roam freely. You know, you're you're in quarantine for a reason.
1: You are in quarantine for a reason, uh, but, the, but as I said, the, the incentive at the end of it has surely got to make it worthwhile. You know, what was the biggest driving factor behind you wanting to do this?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it will be worth it. Um, I think uh, the biggest driving factor is obviously a day, um, but at the same time, coming back to Sydney where you know the support has been nuts really um you know last year was was amazing on the australian horses and obviously ade come down and 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 really finish off the trip well but um uh, i'm just hoping i'm hoping that i'll be able to get on a few few nice australian horses as well as him and he can turn up in similar form as last year and um it'll all be worthwhile i think it, it, in reality you know i'm i'm doing two weeks quarantine in australia and it and it sounds not very fun but um you know, I, I, if I hadn't come to Australia, I'd only be doing two weeks quarantine or or, or a week or so after doing um, the Saudi Arabia trip or something like that. So either which way, I was I was doing quarantine somewhere at some point. So may as well do it while it's worth it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and as a, as you say, in addition to a Dave you've got you've got all those other potential rides that that you might pick up. Uh, how are you filling your days?
4: Um, oh, spending a lot of time on the bike. Uh, no, to, to be honest, it's actually not been as hard as I thought. Like, obviously, getting up in the morning. Um, I've I've I've, I've made a point of waking up at eight o'clock and not letting myself be sloppy or anything because I thought it'd be too easy to just lie in bed all day. Um, so I've been getting up at eight, talking to people at home for a couple of hours, obviously while they're still awake, and then jumping on the bike. Um, today I did sort of. 2 hours 40 I made it yeah. You know, I made a point of trying to do 50 miles um on it and then bit of lunch read a book played on a playstation for a bit and had dinner and then obviously everyone in england's getting back up again so you can start talking to people again and it's um yeah relatively easy to fill a day
1: and then it's and then it's wash rinse repeat
4: Pretty
0: much. <laughs> it's tough going, though, Tom, isn't it? Because you've got an 11-hour time difference, haven't you? So that window to be able to speak to people back here is pretty narrow, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it is. Um, to, to be honest, while I'm in quarantine, it doesn't really matter because, you know, if I'm getting up at 8, I've not got anything to go and do, and equally in the evening I'm not going anywhere, I'm not doing anything so I can talk to people freely, whereas, um, you know, when I'm down here, uh, norm, I'm saying, normal normal, times in in 10 days time like it's it's actually pretty tough to sort of be away for so long because the communication is harder to do you know some mornings you've got trials or you're riding out and you're i'm sweating going racing and and you know i know i'm not riding every day obviously but it, it just makes it that much harder to sort of feel connected with home and obviously you know talk, talking to holly and whatnot it makes it makes it tough and uh... How, how
1: how how what was holly's view on it did did she was did she think that it this was the right thing to do
4: uh do you got the truth thinking. <laughs> <no, I'm> <laughs> um no look, obviously you know it's it's always going to be hard going away and 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 leaving partners and and sort of life behind for extended periods of time but it's uh yeah you know i'm lucky well we're both lucky we're in a household where we've got similar hopes and ambitions of of what we want to do and where we want to be and you know, this is one of those things that, uh, you know, opportunities don't come up like this often. And, you know, my decision to come to Sydney a couple of years ago was, uh, you know, she she supported it. And it was one of those things, yeah, it's, it's annoying and inconvenient, but, um, you know, it's paid off and, and hopefully it'll pay off again.
0: Tom I was looking at some prices for you. I actually looked at the Tour de France first, but you're not quoted for that. But you absolutely are quoted <laughs> for the Jockey's Title. You're 7 to 1, Holly Doyle is 10 to 1. Who's the best bet out of those two?
4: Um I mean look being being 100% realistic, I think you know I'm going to be coming back pretty late. Um I don't get back until sort of the 11th of April and you know off the back of the year Holly had I mean that hopefully one of us can do it and, and you know, everyone everyone likes to have a little sort of rib about it and say, oh, it would cause friction but honestly if if we were fine out for champion jockey, it would be a happy household. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's no two ways about it because it means both of us are flying and um, things are going our way. And will, will you be giving it a good go, though? Because, I mean, to commit
0: to that really does require a lot, doesn't it? You've, you've almost got that different strategy. I know you're not allowed to ride at two meetings a day every day now, but is it a slightly different... Do you have to take that decision if you're going to go for the Championship to actually really kind of have a different strategy than if you're just going to kind of focus on the quality?
4: Um, I think y- you actually made a really good point there with the one-meeting-a-day rule. Like, it, it's changed the... Dynamics of the championship so much. Like you know, this year we saw um, William Buick going for the championship. I mean, when as a sort of when as a retained Godolphin rider, been able to go for a championship like it's never been possible before because of the, you know, the the normal relentlessness of doing two meetings a day. You know, after Ascot, you know, champion jockey drives onto Lingfield and rides another six horses. Whereas now it's, you know, you're you're almost. Um, the sort of say quote unquote top tier um big meeting jockey can actually have just as good a chance of being champion jockey as as, you know, before stereotypically you had to be an out and out drafter. Like you couldn't do it unless you were that jockey going for hundred and eighty, hundred and ninety rides a month. Um so it you know, it's changed a lot and I think it's Less of a thing now, where you actually have to make a point of going for the championship. I think, you know, if you're if you're turning up every day and riding as many horses as you can on a card, which is no harder than turning up and riding four, you may as well ride eight or nine while you're there. Um, and okay, yeah, I mean, that it's certainly brought a, a new crowd into the champion jockey sort of um, betting and 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 who might be able to do it.
1: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Basti Dubai. There's barely a race in the jumping cannon that he hasn't won, and he is determined to get back in the saddle and win some more. Who knows? Perhaps a third Grand National on the diminutive but mighty Tiger Roll after a horrendous injury earlier in the season. Uh, Davy Russell joins me. Good morning, Davy.
5: Hi Nick, how are you?
1: I'm very well. More importantly, how are you? How is the recovery progressing? Some lovely pictures of you on horseback earlier in the week.
5: Yeah, no, it's it's coming on great. Um, we're very, very lucky that um, in our sport where we're looked after with uh, brilliant uh, doctors like the likes of Jennifer Pugh and we've used a very, very good physios and Santry Sports Clinic and I have my own personal physio as well, So and those physios at the races. So all them things are a huge help uh, compared, we'll say, What it was like before, if I had this injury maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I could have made things an awful lot harder.
1: Just tell us why, just tell us the exact nature of the injury and just tell us exactly why it became so difficult for you.
5: Uh, Well, I suppose um, my age anyway is not a help, Um, um, but the extent of the injury was um, I I crushed uh, uh, C six. See, I broke a fracture C six and I crushed C seven and I dislocated T one or else the other way around. I'm not sure which, which between T's and C's. So um, it's right up here at the back of my neck, uh, at the point go down. And if you, if you, everybody knows this big lump of a of a of a vertebrae at the top of their their back. So that's the one I dislocated, and um, so they had to go in into my neck here, and um, go in and. Put the dislocation back so I had to go into traction. I had to get traction on my head and um, to bring the dislocation straight so they could go straight in for the surgery and put in uh, steel, uh, replace the vertebrae basically. And uh, so it wasn't, it actually wasn't too bad. It was just at the time of it, I was in a cage, as in up, up to my neck and down to my chest, and uh, so it was very limited mobility. Uh, I could do very little, only walk, and uh, it just set me back. Usually, we'll say if you break an arm or, or you break a leg, um, it doesn't take that long to recover with here. It's, it, everything has to sit right until it's, it's actually knitted back together.
1: So obviously, you required a de- degree of toughness, which we know you have already, but also quite a lot of patience, not to mention a fair bit of, of stoicism. How hard was that, just in your own head?
5: It wasn't too bad. It was just uh, I couldn't drive. I couldn't really. It took an awful lot of my, um, you know, everything you take the things you take for granted every day away from me. And then, you know, my fitness uh, declined and my weight uh, uh, went the opposite way. (laughs) And um, so and then. To take it off, when they take off the the brace and everything, you just have limited mobility and you have to work very hard on that. And you have to get back the muscles that you lost. I suppose when I started riding out all my life, I've had quite a good core to me. um, And the first couple of mornings I felt that I was missing, that that was something that I really needed to work on. So um, it's just my, my patience was fine. I'm a very good wife and the kids and everything. And people around me were were great and um, the doctors were very patient with me and I had a brilliant surgeon who was very understanding of my position and the timing of my position so um, all them things together they made it an awful lot easier for me.
1: And so there was no point in you that thought well I've had a fantastic career here, I've got loads of other interests, that's me done I, I don't I don't. it was always always at the end of the tunnel was the idea that, that you would be riding racehorses
5: again look it's hard to explain from the moment I put on a pair of shoes all I wanted to do was ride horses and it didn't really matter whether they were racehorses or whether they were the donkey tied to the gate in the backyard I, I know nothing else a horses and I love them to every sinew of my body. Um I don't know any anything else. I it's not that I'm uneducated. I, I, I just through my younger years I educated myself through horses. I know very little else. I tried to I tried to incorporate loads of other things into me, but everything I incorporate into my life is, is horse related. Um so it's very hard to explain that And why that is, I don't know why it is. Um, I just have a huge affection for horses and the people that are involved in our game, the passion that so many people show towards our game, and the knowledge and knowledgeable people that are involved in our game. So when you take the likes of Michael O'Leary, one of the best businessmen in the world, and he wants to be involved in our sport, and the likes of J.P. McManus, Alexi John Magner and whatever leg of it you want to take um, that it means that we have a marvellous sport and, and I just really love being involved in it
1: So it's more that than it is about winning it's not about coming back to win and to fill in any gaps not that there are really any gaps in your CV or, or winning the Grand National or whatever that's, that's not what's driving you it is just the total immersion in being a, a rider and part of the game
5: yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I I've been obsessed with it from a young age, and I I just love being in it. And whether that is the winning side of it, or whether it's the falling a mare and that producing that foal to be a three-year-old, and that three-year-old going on to be, you know, a, a very good racehorse, or it's just the matter of me this morning watching my kids able to ride the pony it's 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 a thing of beauty and it's a thing that i really really love and i i just want to be around like you can't understand when i go into gardens and 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 you sit up on these horses and you have all of these so talented people around you and it's just it just comes as an everyday thing and i think from people looking in we need to know how lucky we are in the game because there are so many people jealous of our sport you know
1: uh, talk to me about um, Gordon Elliott, Davey, and the role that he's played in the last few weeks and months for you and, and to the extent to which he's he's helped you.
5: Yeah, well, Gordon is a brilliant man. I, I've known him for a, quite a, a long time of, of my life. And um, he's a man of little words, but he to have the backing of someone of his stature um, can be very um can give you loads of confidence um he he doesn't know i don't know what day i'm going to be back riding if i'm going to be back riding, i think the toughest days of my of my recovery are ahead of me yet even that there's only may only be two weeks or three weeks of of the recovery left but um for him to come out and 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 have my back it's the same as anything else it's the same it's as more it's as important for my wife and my kids and my family to have my back and you know, different people have different opinions, and they're entitled to them. But when when Gordon gives his backing, and and my family give their back their, their backing, their blessings. So, and and myself, I'm comfortable in it myself. Um, what what more do you need? You know.
1: And to what extent is a horse like Envoi Allen a, a a massive driver for you? You you you've talked about him in such glowing terms before. I mean, can you definitively sit there today and tell me that this is the this is the most talented horse you've ridden?
5: Well, every time he's run, he's unbeaten, and every time he's asked a, a tougher question, he answers it. And again, his toughest questions are ahead of him also. So, you know, I suppose the best thing to do is for him to do the talking, really, and visually, and and to stand in alongside him in the yard and to watch him at home. It's it's really is breathtaking uh what, what this horse can do. Um, he's never been put to the pin of his collar yet. Whether he will, um, you know, that has yet to be seen. But you know, in any sport, any athlete that just keeps answering the questions they're being asked, you know, you've got to love them. You know, the likes of um Honeysuckle and Monkfish and all of these um album photo, these are horses that are you know, answering every question that's thrown at him, and we really need to cherish him. And for me to be part of one of them horses, it's a thing of dreams, really. You know, there's movies made about horses. I grew up watching movies about these horses. You know, the likes of um, the likes of um, and and all these movies. And I really think that that the racing industry is is is, 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 is ready for a new new superstar.
1: And of course, you mentioned Alden and in, in 1981, um, you know, trainer Josh Gifford had stood by Bob Champion, was very loyal to him to give him the ride on on Neaty to come back and, and win the Grand National. And you know, there, there are some comparisons here Gordon Elliott keeping rides on Envoy Allen open for you, and, and the possibility of you coming back to emulate Red Rum aboard, aboard Tiger Roll. I don't know if, did you listen to, to Michael O'Leary and his, his thoughts on here last week, Davey?
5: I didn't unfortunately get a chance to see it. There was a few people who mentioned this to me alright.
1: Well, I'll just recap for you. Um obviously we had the usual thing about what weight he wants him to carry and what whatnot. But um yeah, he I, I spoke to him quite a bit about you and, and his regard for you is, is clearly is clearly enormous now. But he also said he didn't want you to carry on because he just wanted you to be to be to be out of the game in, in, in one piece. Um what what's your what's your rejoinder to that
5: well i i spoke to michael after i getting the fall and i congratulated him on winning the race that I, that that i got the fall in and uh to be fair to michael the one thing he said is it, it, he didn't care if what race he won he just was hoping that i was okay and um that is very very nice because we've had such a relationship over the years and whatever has been printed on paper it really Face to face, myself and Michael are are are, um, are good pals, and and Eddie and myself are probably better than good pals, you know. Um, so, I, I I can see Eddie would, or Michael would have um, a worry the same as he has a worry about Tiger Roll. You must remember, whatever whatever you think of Michael O'Leary, he adores that horse, and his family adores that horse, and he's got kids and everything to think of here as well. So. Um, and and you know taking all them things into consideration but again i suppose um every man is his own and and i'm sure michael would be more than happy that i was back in one piece and 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 booting winners um i'm sure he's he's well entitled to, to to air his concerns the same as an awful lot of people have other people have aired their concerns but i i don't see them concerns
1: um just watching some lovely pictures of you winning your second national on on Tiger Roll I think you know a lot of us who, who try and look at it rationally can't, can't quite imagine the scenario unfolding again but I spoke to you a few weeks ago and you were really quite pumped up about about the horse coming back are you still as enthusiastic
5: yeah I would you believe I got the rare opportunity to ride him at home you don't often get it because the lads that usually ride him uh, he likes them and they like him and um, I, I I would only get the opportunity if 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 there was someone missing or something like that or someone was gone racing early, um, so he has a, uh, he has a tendency to tell you whether he's he's coming or not coming and um, he's coming. He's 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 the, the screw is starting to tighten and Keith. I was just you know it's amazing. I was just riding out with Keith the other morning and and. We spoke. I spoke about things that I felt on him when I rode him in a Grand National and he spoke about things that he felt on him when he rode him in the cross country and both of them were very similar and we both felt maybe last year he wasn't the same horse that he was the year before up until last week when Keith schooled him in in, um, in Punchstone over the hedges and he kind of just said he's 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 starting to come back he's starting to He's starting to, to show the life that he had the year before last.
1: Now, it's not impossible that your biggest barrier to success might come from within. I mean I know Gordon's got about hundred horses entered in the race, but one of them is your old pal presenting Percy. There's no there's no danger you'd get off Tiger Roll, is there?
5: I, I, I again there was no danger I'd get on him to start with because he wasn't my ideal um, choice for winning Grand National. So once again, Nick, I will be doing what I'm told and um, I, I I I it won't be it won't be my decision. It'll be the best decision for the horse and uh, whatever that is, I will wholeheartedly agree with with, with what, what, what Gordon has in store.
1: And just we're having a look at at presenting Percy now, and it's it's kind of easy to forget that he once had Album Photo well beaten before Album Photo capitulated too out in the in the in the RSA Chase. He was so impressive that day; everyone said, "Well, he's bound to win a Gold Cup." Do you think this is a horse that's still got a bit more to offer?
5: Yeah, he 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 most certainly has. Um, He hasn't had. I suppose it's what people forget about these little niggly things that go on with athletes and you must remember these are our athletes and he hasn't had the clearest of runs so he will need to take every box from here on in for him to to get to to to, to get there in the full of his health and it looks attractive. He looks attractive in the race, um but you just has to has to has to get everything right between now and then.
1: Now, Davy if all is well and everything goes to plan, have you, have you marked a definitive date for, for coming back?
5: Uh, not necessarily. I have, um, there is a technique that they, that they can use uh, to, to show the strength of my neck. What I don't want to do is I don't want to come back and then take another couple of days off, come back, this in and out kind of crack. So I want to be 100%. So they have a technique of testing the strength muscles in my neck um, I haven't hit that point yet, um, I, I, the, the specialists are happy I will hit it, um, I have I've a lot of things to do, so I have I've, I've bits of rubber that look like the timing belt for your car uh, to wrap around my neck, and I have a lot of exercise to do, but once I hit them numbers, um, I'll be back, so my next appointment for that test is in about seven days, uh, eight days time. So um, when I hit them numbers, it's pretty much um, um, go,
1: you know. Okay, so you're you, you're the only person who knows because you know your own your own body. I mean, at this stage, we you would be optimistic that you'd be walking into that that weighing room at Cheltenham on the on the third Tuesday in March.
5: No. Now, if, if we didn't have all this technology and all these numbers that we that we know and, and can trust, I would be riding. I would be declared to ride this week. So um, I haven't hit the numbers yet. I need to hit the numbers, uh, and when I hit them numbers, I will be fingers crossed, toes, knees, the whole lot. Um, I'll be i be ready to. I'm I'm ready to rock and roll now. Um, I would like to get a bit of practice in before we go to Cheltenham. It's not essential uh, that I do, but it would be nice for everybody to see me, owners and trainers and myself, that uh, I still have what I need.
1: Okay, so on the proviso that it all goes well, and we see you there, you'll walk into that room, and there'll be no McCoy, no Walsh, no Garrity. You are the man with the Cheltenham record, of all Cheltenham records, walking in there. a towering figure in that regard, uh, how do you think you'll feel after what you've been through over the last year?
5: excited um, excited and 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 prepared and ready for ready for for road um I suppose you've been a little bit hard on Richard Johnson and Paul townend and all of these lads so um you know we always think that we're in an era that will never be replaced um, but Trust me, them guys are 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 as good. Jack Kennedy, any lad that that has put in the groundwork and and the effort that them lads have, they'll they'll they, 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 they'll need need to be worried about. And you must remember that we're whatever percent we are of of the of the partnership that we have, you know, you need you need the this deed underneath you, you know.
1: And I don't mean I don't mean this in 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 the sense of fear but will there still be nerves? Will there be butterflies?
5: Oh, there'll be butterflies. I tell you, and when I when I land in Birmingham and I see the first sign for Cheltenham for the last, I don't know how many years I'm going there, uh, whether it be 15 or 16 years I'm going there, I get a twist in my stomach and I love it. I absolutely love it. I I, I, I It is, without doubt, my most favourite place to be in.